Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vecini. We are presented by The Athletic. Today on the show, it's the man with just the most dulcet tones in podcasting. Just a stop it. Beautiful, beautiful voice. It's Kyle Mann from The Ringer. Kyle, how you doing, man? I'm pretty good. I'm just kind of trying to get my legs under me getting ready to go i was telling you to uh to the g league showcase you know when you're younger and you go on trips and stuff it's it's like there's so fewer boxes to check you know it's like when i was younger i'd just be like all right load the backpack up let's go let's hit the road tomorrow when you get you know you start piling up the responsibilities it's just it becomes a checklist like the nas x scroll that he drops you know that that meme of just you got all this shit to do before you can go anywhere but it's totally fine but how are you doing i'm doing well you know it's uh i'm very jealous because the g league showcase it's one of probably my three favorite events every year it's just the best place to go and like get interaction with scouts and with executives like so many people show up obviously this year you can go and see the g league ignite team i believe there's a global academy there as well uh think that i saw that tyrese proctor uh from over here in australia is over there really interesting prospect who i believe is 2023 draft eligible uh so i'm i'm excited for you that you've never been and i think that you're gonna have a really really great time it's like it's you know summer league has kind of turned into this you know just massive insane like madhouse thing it's bonkers it's, where it where it was back yeah. even like 10 years ago and where it is now yeah yes it's it's insanity this is this is like what it was 10 years ago oh okay okay yeah it's so much better yeah it's like g like summer league back then was sort of like an i always compare it to like we we had this really cool music festival in louisville called forecastle for a while and it was like the bands that would be there were like the coolest like really good bands that you'd read about and like the bigger like bigger cool publications like pitchfork and things like that and there'd be mm. there'd be quite a few people there but then they got bought by the company that owns bonnaroo and then the next year it was like it just the the this sort of progress reminds me of uh, it just became like hugely commercialized and it just became a totally different event. Cause I remember like when I would go to the summer league in like 2011, 2012, you could just, it was like open sit- seating. You could easily sit like front row and it's like just a totally yeah. different, uh, totally different game now. Um, anyway, it's going to be fun. I'm looking forward to it. Me and Sharks have actually never met in person. We're going to do some pods. So be fun that is so great uh by the way please tell the people about what you've got going on with sharks you have a new podcast and it's fucking great and i'm so excited that you get to come on and tell the people about it yeah uh we're doing a show we did we did a version of it last year with me and him and koc uh koc has his own show now so sharks and i are are still doing it uh this it was called ringer nba university last year this year we rebranded it and we're calling it upside high so uh, there's some like familiar territory between you know the things that you're into, the things that I'm into, Charks is into. It's like you know players pre pre NBA players who are sort of in the early years of their of their NBA careers. I think in, in the yep. basketball industry, the, those groups and those teams can feel a little underserviced at times because there are a lot of moving pieces in the NBA. Like you know there are teams that are trying to jockey and get to that like mid-tier upper tier area and that's it's an exciting time for for fans of those teams you know that's honestly that can be that can be the most fun time honestly if you if you're in <laughs> because the stakes are so low 
you know, I see, I was seeing it a lot yeah. with like Rockets fans. Like they had been kind of wandering in the wilderness for a little bit, and they're just like <laughs> jazzed about. They're about, so pumped. I know they're very active. I was like, I haven't heard from you guys in a while. Um, yeah, just like super excited about Jalen Green and Shingun and uh, that whole cast of characters. But that's the show we're doing. We're doing it weekly, and it's on the Ringer NBA feed. So come check it out. I love it so much. Rockets fans are fucking crazy now. Like they're crazier <laughs> than they were when they were competing for a title because they like feel a sense of ownership over the kids. And I love it. Like it's so great. Like I am uh, so excited for Rockets fans. Like I love that front office. Like, look, everyone knows, you know, Coles Wicker used to be a significant part of this show, works for the Houston Rockets. Now I have a soft spot in my heart for the Houston Rockets because of that. But like, Oh my God! It's just they—they are—they're—they're they're on one though. Like they yeah. are losing their minds every every right. time Alper and Shengun does something. They are just losing their minds. Yeah, and it, you know, <laughs> rightfully so. Have a good time. I, I think that you're right about the ownership part of it. It's like yeah. um, just the sky is you. Your optimism is just boundless at that point. I've talked with like. Tyler Parker is a guy that works with the ringer a lot, but he's a big Oklahoma yeah. city guy. And he, t- and we talk a lot about, how they just, they, people have chided them for being a, a doormat and, and doing the process thing, doing the, the long term right. tank, tank it, bank it kind of thing. And, uh, I don't know if anybody said that yet. Maybe I just coined that. Tank uh, it and bank it. I love <laughs> yeah. it. But, <laughs> he was just describing how people are like thinking of it from the outside. Like it's some miserable situation. And it's like, okay, see, okay. fans are like, remarkably chipper if you if you talk to them like for for their situation like they're very they're very cool about it um they're like yeah we like these guys but that's like a fun place to be because the expectations haven't set in and expectations can be like the 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 death of joy as a fan i mean i know that as a kentucky person for sure well like look at look at philadelphia 76ers fans like do you remember the old episodes of the rights to Ricky Sanchez with Spike and Mike Levin? Like those episodes were so fun. They were so excited to be there. Like they were so enthusiastic about the process and everyone like in the mainstream media would talk down to them, but they were so pumped about the whole thing. And now like you listen to their show and God, I, I love <laughs> Mike. Like I, I genuinely love Mike. I, I love my, a spike. Like I love those guys so much. And you listen to their show and there's so such a just sense of misery in their voice every time that they talk about this team because there's just a pall hanging over the whole thing because and look this is the Ben Simmons scenario not every team goes through this but even like after the Jimmy Butler season there was a sense of sadness I mean gnashing oh, of teeth man. for sure well I think that you and I our football experiences probably reverse or they like mirror <laughs> each other because you are an Ohio State guy and I yeah. imagine like Ohio State fans are pretty intense. They're a lot like Kentucky basketball fans. They're oh, like, we expect crazy. we expect this. If we don't get this every year, we're going to be really unhappy. Yeah. Whereas Kentucky, we're like eight wins. Holy shit, man! Amazing. <laughs> we're like we're like we're so happy. That's why. And it's just kind of a funny thing as a, as a fan. So I don't know. I don't, I don't blame those people for enjoying themselves. And Sixers no, fans totally. are hysterical. I don't, would you? Who would you say? Like, I was going to ask you this. What fan base have you like pissed off the most that's like lingered and they've kind of have you had a group of fans that have come after you for like a specific thing that you can recall in the past? Oh, this year, I mean, look, there, there's one every year, I would say. Um, this year, it's definitely Raptors fans for <laughs> not being as high on Scotty Barnes as I was on Jalen Suggs. Uh, Raptors fans are 
a uh, special breed of sensitivity and I love them. Like, look, this is, it's all in fun. And like, I totally like take it as a fun deal. Um, we definitely just kind of mess around a little bit, mm-hmm. but man, like I loved Scotty Barnes last year and I, I think I was the only person that had him like in the top eight, like the entire season. You and I talked about Scotty Barnes so much. Like we, I had him up there. We both. Yeah. Loved him the whole year. And now, now they act like, because I said that he wasn't going to have success scoring the basketball early in his career. Uh, and he has, they act like I hated him the whole time. And it's just like, Oh my God, guys, come on. Like, well, this is, uh, this is not it. Well, there's no nuance to it, you know. Like I, I had Cade number one, and it was like, but since I didn't have Mobley number one, it's like an it's a binary situation. Like I had Mobley number two, but because I didn't have him number one, <laughs> means I didn't like Mobley. But no, I, I totally, I know what you mean. And and it's weird that to me, it's kind of odd that uh, like being up on Scotty would be like a hot take. Like he had been highly rated all the way through the process, all the way through, yeah. you know, through to to, to the to the NBA level. So, but I don't know. I, I'd say that ironically, or just kind of coincidentally, the group I, the group I heard it the most from was I did a video on MB last fall when the Sixers were like 27 and so they had some crazy great record to start the year. And I still, when I made their video and I was kind of doing the outlook on their team, I was just like, still probably need to trade Ben Simmons. And Oh my God. <laughs> Oh my God. It was just like nonstop. I had to mute it. Like I I stopped reading the comments on YouTube, but I did want to kind of go back to that video recently and just like pop in and be like, Hey, what's up? You know, remember that? (laughs) (laughs) So like as someone who's on YouTube as much as you are, because you started there, like you, I've just started doing YouTube more regularly now and I'm like diving in and trying to learn more about it. Like, I'm still navigating my feelings on the YouTube comment sections. Mm. Uh, They haven't gotten too crazy yet because I only have like 900 uh, subscribers. But I I have some concerns on how that's going to get. And uh, it's going to be very interesting to track going forward. Uh, I want to, real quick before we get into what we actually wanted to talk about, uh, I want to pitch you my favorite Ben Simmons deal that I think could happen. And I want you to yell at me in terms of why it's a bad idea for everyone involved. Okay. okay. So I'm assuming that if Damian Lillard does get moved, that the Portland Trailblazers are going to be able to just get whatever they want from the Philadelphia 76ers because the 76ers are waiting for that superstar to get on the market. Right. Like, I think you probably agree. You think they want Lillard is what you're what you're implying, like the Sixers. I think that yeah, that's they the, want probably the best star. one they could get or it's comparable yeah. to that. Yeah, and I think he's probably the best one they can get. Yeah. So my idea, my fake trade that comes not from any reporting or knowledge of the situation is Ben Simmons to Portland for Matisse Thybul, Tyrese Maxey. Or no, I'm sorry. Ben Simmons, Tyrese Maxey, Matisse Thybul in three or four first round picks for Damian Lillard. I I think that's a. Uh, here's what I'll say. I'm not as high on but Lillard. I, I, I have it, more of it. I have oh, okay, more. there's more. Okay, okay. There's Whoa. more. Wow. Okay, this is earth shaking. I already kind of tipped Portland, my hand though. <clears throat> but then Portland turns and gives 
Ben Simmons to Boston for like three first round picks or something like that. So essentially Portland jumpstarts their rebuild with like six or seven first round picks, Matisse Thibel, Tyrese Maxey. Uh, I don't, I'll say something that I don't think I've ever really said publicly. I've talked with my basketball friends about this here and there. I'm not as high on Dame as other people are. So I, I would not make him the highest paid player in the NBA. I know that might be, you know, every franchise kind of has their reasons for not every franchise is the same. You know, some franchises, franchises have to overpay. We know that we've seen that Um, for Portland. They, they may be in the position to do that. I just don't know. I would, I would just kind of, uh, I would grimace to do that if I was Philly. It just seems like a lot. That seems like too much for me, uh, just for just for him. But now I don't know. I mean, like, what what would you have? Did you you said Maxi was in there too? I you said Ma- Ben Simmons, Maxi, Thibel, three first round picks. Do you think they'll part with Maxi in that? Are they going to part with Maxi in this deal because in this because he's know. been better this year? So I I, I don't know. He's kind of doing what we expected him to do. Right. I don't. I don't know. I'd, I'd. I'd be interested to to see what they project like a Simmons or a, an Embiid Lillard offense would look like uh, because neither one of those guys lean playmaking. Do you think? Do you think that there would be enough drink stirring in that offense for them to to have sort of fluidity? Because I guess it's kind of similar to Brooklyn, but you know Harden right. and Kyrie and Durant are are all great ISO scores, but they're also pretty good passers too. I yes. You know, Embiid's a pretty good passer. I, I don't know that I agree with people that he's a great passer. Like he's like a like a primary identified double kind of thing. He's not like a, an elite playmaker type. But I don't know. I I just have a hard time projecting the Lillard Embiid dynamic. You see what I'm saying? Like in terms of no, I agree to an extent. Like I think that it's not necessarily the ideal fit. Like they're still going to struggle to throw entry passes to Joel Embiid like on the block, which is something that is. Uh, an issue for them currently, but more than anything, what they need is they need a guy at the end of games in fourth quarters who can get a bucket. Like, I think that let, let's say this, I would you do, would you do Ben Simmons and Maxi with like three or four first round picks for Damian Lillard? Yeah. I, I, I assume they wouldn't, I don't know what the, like the contracts would work out. I assume you couldn't do Simmons and Thibel with the picks. You'd have to do, would you have to do Simmons and Maxi? Just, and this isn't a Kentucky thing. I mean, I'm not. Uh, I'm not like just trying to keep Maxi because I no, I, I, like I love Maxi too. I yeah, think he's yeah. great, actually. Yeah, yeah. I just have a hard time with it. Like, I don't. What do you, What are you left with if you move all those guys too? It's like you talk about getting to the end of games. It's like you got to kind of be there. Um, I don't know, man. So you're, you're left in that scenario with Tobias Harris, Joel Embiid, Seth Curry, Damian Lillard. I mean, what what do we want to say? Like, you know, play with. Corkmaz, Shake Milton. If we if they keep Thibel, then that's like an interesting move. Like, uh, let, let's say that they decide, hey, we need to keep Matisse in this deal, and it's just Simmons and Maxi. Well, Thibel then becomes like a pretty interesting closer for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and obviously defensively, you want to keep him around. I, yeah, when you when you said it out loud, there, I mean, you're looking at yeah, Seth, Shake, Tobias, Joel. That's a pretty damn good offensive. Yeah, end. I mean, two way. Yeah, that's a pretty good team. I I don't know. Have Have you heard? 
Is that the have you heard a trade that you like similarly to that, or is that the best what's the best one you've heard? So I don't know. It's that's the best one that like I've been able to come up with is and because I really like the idea of Portland being able to move Simmons. Cause I, I worry that Simmons like would make Portland too good to where they wouldn't be able to tank mm-hmm. immediately. And I think that the best thing for them would probably to not be as good as possible uh early on. Like I I think they could get stuck in the middle pretty easily with uh, ben Simmons and if they decide to keep CJ McCollum and those guys so like I would like to move Simmons then to Boston or something like that because I think Simmons would be perfect in Boston because there are two primary scorers already he'd be the kind of unselfish playmaker that I think would act yeah. as connective tissue for Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum uh, and again like if I'm Portland then I'm restarting my rebuild I've essentially gotten six first round picks Tyrese Maxey and you know something else for Damian Lillard, which is about what Paul George got. Yeah, I mean, Simmons, Simmons in Boston is very interesting. I know this is something Sharks and I have talked a lot about on our show recently is the idea of the connective playmaker and that like style of having two wings. Or oh, we were talking specifically about Lonzo fitting with Levine and, and DeRozan, and that's yep. not terribly dissimilar from like putting Simmons. Of course, Simmons gives you a different defensive boost, uh, you know, right. and then and Boston could use that. Uh, that's that's very interesting. I guess the question is like, does the first part of the deal work? I don't know. I'm skeptical. Uh, but but again, like I said, it's it's not popular I, with like uh, NBA real hooper Twitter. But I'm just not as I'm not as <laughs> much of a Dame guy. I've never really have been. But um, I mean, where do you put Dame in the hierarchy of the NBA? Do you think he's like a top twelve player, a top twenty player? Like, where are you on him? Uh, we haven't gone through and done like our actual rankings. I'd say he's probably closer to. I mean, don't, don't quote me and come like crucify me for this, but I'd probably put him in that like twelve to twenty range. I would imagine. Mm. Um, I don't. I don't. I wouldn't have him top ten. I wouldn't say. Um, there's just too many like two way players and like really efficient score creators that I would put above him. Uh, just because he he leans so heavily on the shot making. Now he's a great player. I guess I don't I don't want to like go too crazy here and just be like I, I think he stinks or something. It's just uh I don't I don't necessarily have him in that top top level of like score gravity flippers that uh, that can do both efficiently. So and and also you know play great defense. So yeah, it's interesting. Like, would you rather have him or Paul George? I mean, I think Paul George is an infinitely better player. But I but is he but is he clutch? That's the thing. It's just like we've seen Paul. Yeah. We've seen Paul shrink in these situations. It's like Dame doesn't shrink, but I mean Paul. Dame can be, gets better in these situations. He does. Yeah, I mean, in terms of just like intensely, you want to just talk about tough shot making in big games when you know the schematic stuff breaks down. Dame is, you know, he's on another tier. Like in that sense, he's at the top. But I mean, Paul George. I mean, I I, I think he's one of the best players in the world. Honestly, uh, yeah. I mean, six nine guy that can carry like a heavy pick and roll load and can shoot threes at volume efficiently i mean i I haven't looked at his number i wouldn't be surprised if it's higher than than dame um he's uh i mean i just think paul george is a fantastic player if you if you remove all the kind of negative uh narrative stuff that's surrounded pg um i don't know it's it's a totally different story that stuff has really kind of watered down his legacy for how special he is yeah um which is a shame honestly no, Paul, Paul George is like a Hall of Fame basketball player, and I feel like he's not talked about in that way, and it's very frustrating. I completely agree with you. Uh, 
the thing is that like I don't know if I can trust him in clutch time, and I can definitely trust Dame in clutch time. That's why I like Paul George best next to Kawhi. I think though that what the Sixers need more than anything is the guy that they can put next to Joel in clutch time to go mm-hmm. get a shot. And that's why I'm kind of thinking, okay, if I'm the Sixers, like Dame, I mean, realistically, who's the best guy they're going to get for Ben Simmons is what it comes down to, right? Like, I don't think they're getting Jalen Brown. I don't think they're getting Shea. I don't think they're getting like Bradley Beal because it seems like that's not going to happen, right? I'd rather Damian Lillard than Bradley Beal anyway. They could have had Shea, which is pretty funny back back just uh, just recently. But I, I think I think when you put it that way, when you contextualize it that way, if he's next to Embiid, he's not so much a load bearing piece like you know, like he is in Portland. Um, right. Since Embiid is the, just this like planetary force in the mid range <laughs> and in the post. So I mean, yeah. um, I think that's a good way to put it. I mean, I could see why they would do it. Um, I guess maybe I'm kind of talking myself into sort of a middle ground where I would maybe be okay with it. Um, they they'd be a hell of a team in the East. I mean, it, they would be. Yeah. I guess it would kind of come down to: Do you think? Uh, do you think that they could beat like a full strength Brooklyn, a full strength Milwaukee? You know, do you think they could beat either one of those teams in a series? I don't know, but I feel like with Embiid, you have to try at the end of the day, right? The like, clock's ticking. That's you, it, the other thing. Yeah. yeah. Like, you, you kind of have to just go for it at the end of the day. And their best move, I think, is to go for it with Damian Lillard as opposed to, like... And the other thing is you can't waste a season of Joel Embiid's prime either. Like, I don't think that I feel comfortable with them just being like, there's no way... Like, I'm comfortable waiting until the off season to move Ben Simmons. Like, I, I would not do that because Joel Embiid is so fucking good right now. Mm-hmm. Like... He's incredible, and I wouldn't want to waste that. So, I mean, the next best guy that I've been able to come up with in terms of a deal is like Gordon Hayward. Uh, like, if you know, you could do a three team deal with Indiana. I pitched this to our friend Dave Dufour on the last show. It was like a deal centered around uh, Simmons to Indiana, Miles Turner and TJ Warren to Charlotte. Uh, and then oh, I love Gordon Turner Hayward. and Charlotte. Anytime anybody brings that up, I love that idea. <laughs> I would, I want to see that anyway. Yeah, and then Gordon Hayward to Philly. I like- and then, like, obviously, fill that around with picks, right? Like, I, that's not right in terms of value each way, but, like, you know, picks to each destination that you see fit. Yeah, I, I like the idea of, um, I think that, you know, I said, like, drinks, drink stirring creation, basically. Like, I, I think Hayward's a little underrated on that front in terms of, like, yeah. t- tough shot making can, like, take some uh, – can ISO can pick and roll at the end of games. He's experienced. I, I think that he'd be an interesting fit for them. Um, yeah. I, w- I was looking at the percentages. Like, d- neither Dame nor PG have shot the ball well from three this season. <laughs> uh, Paul George, 30, 31.8, yeah. and Dame, 30.5. Ouchie. Well, uh, George, yeah, George is taking like an insane number of contested shots. And then Dame has the abdominal injury that I think is hindering him pretty substantially. So. Mm-hmm. I'm like I'm pretty ambivalent on what we've seen from both of them this year. Like I'm not worried about it. I guess is what I would oh, sure. say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I have enough faith in all those guys on that front. But yeah, um, yeah. Hayward Hayward would be interesting for them in that way. I've I've wondered. Have you? Do you know if they've thought about trading Tobias? Because I've always thought that like the fluidity of sort of their lineups could be impacted by Tobias being there because he's sort of a bigger, not necessarily stiff, but uh, 
I, I don't know. I, I always kind of wondered if he put sort of a lineup uh, constraint on their like their options. I don't know if they thought like I I was thinking about a deal where he could maybe end up with the Kings at one point. Um, I thought he'd be an interesting pickup for them, but he makes so much money well, like, too. It's kind of like harder yeah, to move him. Yeah, that's the tricky part because like with Tobias, I agree with you. Like I think that the ball gets a little bit sticky in his hands, mm-hmm. right? Like. And he doesn't throw incredible entry passes. Like, he's not... I think they could have a better fit with Joel Embiid, like, at the four spot. But I also just don't know... He's, all, he's like, so good that, like, it's hard. You can't just give him up for nothing either. Mm-hmm. And I don't know who you would move him for. Because, like, Charlotte... Part of the reason I wonder if Charlotte might be willing to move Gordon Hayward is the emergence of Miles Bridges... Uh, along with P.J. Washington's existence there mm-hmm. uh, and the fact that they need a center at some point to pair with Miles Bridges, especially if you're going to play him at the four, you need real substantial rim protection. So I kind of am wondering, like, is there a chance that like the Gordon Hayward move, uh, you know, he's making 30 plus million dollars a year. You're going to have to pay Miles Bridges $25 million a year, given how he's played so far this year. Like, there's no way that San Antonio, Detroit, Oklahoma City, he fits on all of their timelines. Like, they would give Miles Bridges a lot of money, I think, this offseason mm-hmm. that Charlotte's going to have to match. So I wonder if Charlotte, given that they just extended Terry Rozier, might want to clean their books a little bit uh, with a Gordon Hayward move. But I, I don't know. I mean, it, it's it, it's tricky. And, like, especially if we're trying to get – Gordon Hayward to Philly and um, you know Tobias Harris like you can't really do that he's a four man you can't mix him with Miles Bridges if we're thinking that like that could be an option I I don't know what the I I think they kind of just have to keep Tobias and you know make their move in the backcourt at the end of the day yeah yeah I don't know and I I guess Hayward becomes a little bit more you know they bring him in I don't know if they specifically brought him in for this reason but he was a nice um I mean, at the, at the beginning of the year this year, like they were sitting Lamelo in crunch time. So I guess it's gonna it's been sort of an easing right. in process with Lamelo to to get him to the point where you totally trust him all the time. And but he's <laughs> but he's but he's making good progress on that front. And like you said, the emergence yeah. of Miles as a passer, as a guy that can be on ball a little more, that helps you. And you know, you can kind of move Hayward can kind of move on to the next situation. I I don't I don't dislike that at all. I think that's that's pretty interesting. The reason that I had Kyle on, though, was to talk about the things in the NBA that give us joy. We talked a lot about part, trades just now. That was surprising. Did, yeah. I was like, wow. That was my fault. No, no, it's yeah. okay. Um, We're talking about players securing the bag when they get drafted in June. I need to tell you about securing your internet connection with NordVPN. What is a VPN? It's a virtual private network. A VPN reroutes your traffic through a remote server, encrypting it in the process. This is going to hide your location from your ISP, hackers, and from other people looking to get your data. Everybody knows that I watch as many movies as I can. I think I've probably watched like 40 or 50 this year already. Some movies are blocked in Australia. It's really hard for me to watch them. Uh, For instance, uh, anybody who's tried to get their hands on Godzilla Minus One recently knows that it's basically only available in Japan. And you need a VPN if you want to go to like Amazon Prime or something to be able to watch it. So 
when I'm blocked from watching a movie in Australia, I just queue up my VPN. I change my location and it unlocks a category of movies from all of my favorite streaming services. As somebody who's always on the go, connecting to public Wi-Fi is a necessity, but it's also just a goldmine for hackers. That's where Nord comes in, creating a secure tunnel for my data to travel through away from prying guys. There are other benefits to Nord as well. Your browsing history is yours and yours alone. Your virtual location is masked from those who seek to track your every move. It's like having a force field around your online identity. Nord VPN also goes the extra mile with threat protection. Malware, trackers, dodgy ads, they're all going to get blocked. It's like having a shot blocking big around your devices 24-7. Game Theory is offering an exclusive deal for NordVPN. You're going to get four extra months and up to 75% off subscriptions. Just head to nordvpn.com slash game theory, G-A-M-E-T-H-E-O-R-Y to claim your account. Plus, with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, you've got nothing to lose and everything to gain. Go to nordvpn.com slash game theory to claim your account, nordvpn.com slash game theory. Guys, I can't emphasize enough uh, how much I use Nord every day of my life. Uh, Nord is a fantastic sponsor for us. So go support Nord and it's a great product. So nordvpn.com slash game theory. We want to talk about things that bring us joy and some of the teams that have brought us joy so far this season. And the team that I wanted to start with is Cleveland. I haven't talked enough about Cleveland on this show. And I just love watching the Cavs, which is such a weird thing to say, given the last few years. They've been such a a mess. Tortured group of fans, I would say. Yeah. And I'll be honest, like, I did not like the way this thing was heading. Like, I, I did not, you know... I did not love the way that Kobe Altman seemed to be building the roster. I liked all of the individual pieces. I've longer been high on Colin Sexton than most people. I've been higher on Darius Garland uh, throughout his NBA career than most people. Like I kind of like Lowry Markinen a little bit, but I like them all in different places than mixed together on the same roster. And I am stunned that this is working in the way that it is. And I think that the main reason it is, is the connective force that is Evan Mobley, like maybe the like best connective tissue player. It feels like in the NBA, because without Evan Mobley, without like this switchable seven footer who can protect the rim and pass and play in ball screens, both as a ball handler and as a screener uh, and be a lob threat who can just do literally everything on a basketball court outside of shoot efficiently. Uh, I feel like this whole thing would break down, but now with Mobley, it just actually fits together and completely works. Even these three seven footer lineups that uh, have been incredibly effective with Lowry Markinen and Jared Allen. It's, it's a wild process in Cleveland. How much have you enjoyed watching the Cleveland Cavaliers so far? I mean, a lot. They've been really a big surprise. I, another thing that I think is underrated is the presence of Rubio. I think Rubio is like a pretty, yeah. pretty remarkably good culture fit and just wise. I mean, he's he's just uh, and he's become a more efficient shooter. Obviously, over the course of his career, he's just a good guy to have a, around at the at the st- at this stage of your of your rebuild. But I don't even think you would call it a rebuild anymore because when you get when you hit it 
rich the way that they have with Mobley. And Mobley on the defensive end is is an umbrella. He he he's sort of a value raiser for the people around him uh, because mm-hmm. he's not a, an overly like in in terms of like what I call like positional wagering. You know, you see some guys like I saw Matisse Thybul talking about how it was a quote from Danny Green saying like you, you're a great defender, but you your gambling is something that is putting you in a bad position a lot. Mobley is not a big gambler because he doesn't have to be. Like, he moves so fluidly. Right. He doesn't get out of position easily. And, you know, th- those kind of things, you leave your, your teammates with the check if you're if you're doing that a lot. Like, if you're getting out of position, uh, then everybody else is out of position trying to cover you, and that creates fouls, that creates easy buckets. Mobley is just so far ahead on that front. Like, he's so positionally smart. If you watch him, I, I uh, was sending a... A clip of him like uh, Miles Bridges, and we were talking about this on our show recently. That like Miles Bridges was attacking him, and you could just see Miles Bridges where he normally dusted people, like makes a couple right. shifty moves. Mobley was like matching, mirroring him, you know, and he's significantly bigger. Uh, but but he's a value raiser on that end, and then he just makes pieces make sense. Like what you were describing about pieces not fitting together. Um, Mobley. Some some teams will have good good pieces i think about like the lakers back in like the mid 2010s when they had all those guys that were like i like these guys why do they suck so bad why is this so not fun to watch why is this the worst offensive team i've ever seen and then those guys go on to do other things you know it's like a show that sucks with a gr- lot of great actors you're like why right. did that- and then and then we watch the kings try to play a luke walton offense and, yeah, and we see yeah. how that works yeah and, but then we see we see it and it's like well why did that show not work and then all those actors go on to be in other great stuff so it's like sometimes sometimes the context isn't there and it's like what you were talking about like i I've said over and over again, Cavs fans that know me, you're probably sick of me saying this, but I just I despise the Garland Sexton fit. I didn't know what the hell they were doing. I don't even yeah. know long term if it's going to continue to be a thing. But the luxury that they have is there's not crazy pressure on that dynamic. Like that's what the presence of Mobley has done. So yeah. they could potentially make a move down the road here, or you know, and then they have a Coro sitting sitting in the wings, literally here, like like a like an investment that could just go to the moon and make the and you know is a quality yeah. on ball defender. Um, the Cavs uh, went from I see how it went for them, and then I see like for a team like we were talking about OKC, who is just kind of like have all these weird pieces. I made a video recently right. about how they have weird pieces. You can like make sense in a hurry if you can get a context changing player uh, like Mobley, which is what he is. And context changing players to that extent come around like in the two way sense that you were talking about describing. Right. I mean, fifteen years. I mean, like it's it's like a very rare thing. Chark said he thinks he could be the best player in the NBA someday. I was like, I don't know if I'm ready to totally get there, but he can be pretty fucking good, man. I mean, like he's he's pretty. His his impact is uh, I was high on him and I think I underestimated him. Sorry, I, I really kind of monologued there, but I mean he's uh, it's crazy what they've done. It's really impressive. No, I'm in the same boat. Like I loved Evan Mobley coming in. I said this is a multi-time. I, like I would if the over under is one and a half all NBA teams for Evan Mobley. I said I would take the over, and I still underestimated him. I think like. I feel pretty good about him being a top 10 player in the league at some point. Yeah. And I don't know that I felt that way coming into his collegiate career, which is wild. Like the level to which he has made problems go away for Cleveland is insane. Like, look, 
I'll ask you this question. I mean, I personally would still take Cade Cunningham at number one in a 2021 redraft because I think it's just so hard to find guys that can be efficient, heliocentric offensive players. And oh, by the way, in the case of Cade Cunningham, like he can be heliocentric while still playing like an unselfish brand of like heliocentric basketball because he moves the ball so quickly when he sees like a headband pass out in transition or a ball reversal to like a wide open Sadiq Bay, right? Like it's just so natural for him. I think it's hard to find guys that have that level of unselfishness while still being able to take on such an incredible usage and be a high-level defender and everything. Mm-hmm. So I would still take Cade Cunningham personally at number one in the 2021 NBA draft. I mean, there's no I, there's no question I would take Evan Mobley number two, but would you take Evan Mobley one or would you take Cade at number one? We, we had this discussion the other day and I was – Charks was teasing me that I wasn't ready to admit I was wrong. I was like, no, it's it's not. It's just that like the the results aren't totally in yet either. You know, because Cade had a weird start. <laughs> Cade had uh, obviously coming off that ankle injury, he was getting his legs under under him, kind of kind of like I am trying to go on a trip as a as a lame old guy. But um, like Cade. <laughs> I think the hesitation for me is that line between Helio, like what you were talking about, because me, truly Helio players are like, they can flip the switch and totally go heavy volume. I I am going to get us offense, and everything that I don't get, I can flip. Like I, when I say gravity flipper for people, people who listen to your show are smart. They know what I'm talking about. But like, it's like, right. of course, that implies that it's a smart concept. I'm just, <laughs> anyway. Uh, <laughs> It's not. It's it's a pretty basic thing. It's like if you if you can the best players in the world either can like slash your throat with their scoring and then if you if you load up and stop them they can punish you. I think Jokic is one of the best examples of all time of this that we're seeing right, right now. Yeah. But I don't know that Cade and I always kind of felt this way about Cade as high as I was on him and have been and remain on him. I don't know that he has that even like Luca quality of like I'm going to like destroy you tonight i don't know that he has the appetite for it like is oh interesting really is he an offensive one like truly at the highest level i feel like he probably but he's so malleable Uh, and it may come down to a question of where do you think the efficiency is going to get to because the pull-up shooting has been a little uh it's been a little better lately i was watching some of his tape from uh might have been last night i don't i never know what day it is but he was Attacking the basket pretty comfortably, confidently. I think he's going to get there as a score. I just kind of wonder if he's going to be sort of a guy that's paired with another primary, you know, and like another big time score. Um, Yeah. But he's super malleable within, you know, modern offenses have that interchangeability at the one, two, three spots. And you, you see like the, the pick and roll is part of it. But I feel like we were kind of moving into an era now where it's like, you know, the handoffs into, you know, they mask pick and rolls and you like to have interchangeability there. And you would have thought that Detroit was going to have that with Killian if he can hit a shot or Sadiq, who's had a, an abysmal shooting year too. All right. those things have been hard on Cade. I guess the question for me, like you were saying, Helio, I'm not totally sure, but I'm also not totally sure. I, I'm still holding, I'm staying put like you. I'm, I still have Cade number one. I do. Uh, because I think he could be, a, he's going to be a fantastic player. Um, and what a draft, you know, that that we have yeah, totally. this much talent coming to the league. So I'm, I'm pretty close to where you are, honestly. I'm not ready to move on it. Um, and that is with, like, utmost respect for, for Mobley. 
Yeah, no. And like you bring up the idea of whether or not Cade can be heliocentric. Like I, I don't, I'm not worried about the pull-up shooting. I'm not worried about his ability to get to the rim. I actually think his handle is it like translated in a way even better than what I thought it would. Uh, and this comes from someone who was as high on Cade as I was. Like I, I think his handle has translated in every way. Really, the thing is just the pull-up shooting. And the pull-up shooting has improved, I think, as his ankle has gotten more comfortable and healthy. Because, I mean, God, like... I'm sure you've gone and tried to like even shoot a basketball with a sprained ankle, right? Like it's fucking impossible, right? I mean, uh, the fact that he started so poorly as a shooter, like I'm not that worried about it, I guess. And he's 20 and there's so much uh, upside for him as a shooter just due to his natural touch level that it's hard for me to look at him and go, I'm worried about his scoring ability. We know that he can pass. Like anyone that watched him at Montverde knows the vision is there. I think the Detroit situation is just a fucking disaster to the point where, like, I, I the fact that he's as good as he is is insane to me. Oh yeah. Um, like Jeremy Grant, like good, like really good player. Not a passer, like not an unselfish player, like just a guy who's a really good defender who is now turned into a shot maker and a driver who can attack closeouts and um, be as strong as a cutter as he's always been and get his 20 points that way. Mm-hmm. Killian Hayes is not very good. Like, yeah. let's just, you know, kind of say what it is, right? And, and they're playing him as much as they are. Hamadou Diallo, like you and I, I think both reasonably like Hamadou Diallo is a yeah. rotation player in the NBA, but not a shooter, right? Um you know, Isaiah Stewart doesn't have that gravity yet as a shot maker away from the basket. And frankly, like, I love Isaiah Stewart. I love his defensive intensity. I think he's like a great culture guy to have around for Detroit long term. He does just kind of take up a lot of space on offense yeah. right now. Um, I think he's probably it's a, he's probably like your your seventh guy. Like, I, I think he's like a guy that comes yeah. in like, I don't know. And and. uh a point that I heard somebody make that I agree with is that like he's a tough fit for the template of what Cade is. You know, you want yeah. you really really want a vertical spacer. That's the tough thing about Detroit is like you, you're you're absolutely right. It's just like they're making it. The thing about like the measured efficiencies, like in the advanced stuff, when you go back and watch, is like you'll look at it and be like, Jesus Christ, Cade is like super efficient. But if you go and watch, it's that stuff is all measured by what your teammates do. So right, Detroit is like historically bad shooting the ball they are and yeah. they and they, they're not helping him out at all he leaves like a lot of assists on the table not by his own doing and the, and then like we said like the vertical spacing things like that um it's 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 tough for him because and, and it's been impressive like i agree with you on this front too that like he's been as good as he is all the other stuff is there yeah. like the defensive positional savviness is really good it's been it's been there consistent and the more he gets efficient I don't think we've even scratched the surface, like in terms of like his playmaking. The stuff I've seen at the I other levels, either. like we're just not there yet because the scoring hasn't quite gotten there yet. And when it does, I think we'll start to see more of that stuff because he's he stretches, the, he's he utilizes the entire width of the floor in a way that I think is going to make some of the people who are a little more cautious about him right now and they're a little hesitant or well there have been a lot of people who were like eager to be like he's no good which is just fucking ridiculous frankly um right that's just not like paying close enough attention to me because all of those other things have to kind of lock into place and then we'll see full cade in my opinion 
Yeah. No, I, we we have gotten like 30% of like fully operational Cade so far, which is terrifying, it feels like. Mm-hmm. Um, but we started this conversation on Cleveland, and I want to move back to them quickly because I think that the thing that's making their offense work, I mean, this was a disaster offense the last two years. And the leap that Darius Garland has made is just unbelievable to mm-hmm. me. Uh, I, I do wonder if part of it is the confidence level of not having a Colin Sexton out there because his his playmaking and passing ability has taken a pretty real jump uh, out of pick and roll, particularly like he's averaging over his last like 12 games. He's averaging like four assists per game to Jared Allen and like what three of those per game are lobs out of pick and roll. Right. Uh, it, I think that he just feels more comfortable and confident out there uh, with Colin, not being there and that. I feel bad saying that. Cause like, I don't think that's a slight on Colin Sexton necessarily in the lineups that they had were successful with Colin. Like, it's not like this was a bad team. Like they were seven and four, uh, starting Colin Sexton and Darius Garland together. It's not like they're a drastically better team without them. But I think that in particular, Darius Garland has felt more comfortable on the ball, maybe, with uh, without the presence of Colin Sexton there. I mean, uh, I'm at the point where I don't think Darius Garland is an all-star this year. Like, mm-hmm. And I'm sorry, I think the Cleveland fans are going to be a little bit upset about that. Like, I think it's pretty hard to make a case for him over like Fred Van Vliet, for instance, just having yeah. like I've, I've dove deep on that. Like I, I would love to say that I could get Darius Garland onto the all-star team, but I just kind of can't yet. He's certainly in the top 20, uh, but he's just like not quite there yet. But I am at the point where I'm willing to say like Darius Garland is a future top like seven point guard in the NBA. Did, did you see this leap happening? Uh you know, based off of his first you know season and a half in the NBA. Um, depending on when, I mean, I always and looking back, my projection on him, I've always been a Garland guy. I mean, I really like guards that can shoot off the bounce and relocate, shoot like I'm. That's those are the types of players I like. Now, I I had him projected right in the range of like high outcome, like Tim Hardaway. Um, and like, uh, oh, who's the other one? Uh, Jason Terry, like prime Jason Terry, who is a, like a really great player. Um, yeah, that's kind of the range. I mean, what, I he was had like him. the what third best player on a title team? Yeah, the Dallas team. Like, I, yeah, that wasn't real. even his most like prolific offensive era. I don't think. I think he had a higher peak earlier, but he had some pretty good seasons. That's kind of where I had him. You know, like a really really fast on ball guy that could play on or off the ball. Um, in terms, uh, th- that was why I was frustrated with the Sexton thing. I was like, it really, it's not as, there's just dissonance there between those two. Um, I know that like some Cleveland people uh, were, were chiding me for saying that he wasn't always pass first. I always kind of saw him as a leaning scoring a little bit. Like he's a guy that could score, yeah. but the, you know, he's really grown in that area. His numbers across the board, like he's been better in pick and roll this year. He's scoring better at like at all three levels. His assist to usage is up, his usage is up. So, I mean, it's just like, to me, that says flow. Those things say flow. So he's in, he's in a situation where, you know, the ball is not sticking as much. Um, I, f- I just feel like the overall touch time is, like, healthier within their offense from what I've been able to tell. Um, and, and just having two bigs that are both vertical spacers and both are – well, not both. I mean, Jared Allen, not really so much of a, of a floor spacer. But 
the personnel around him has really helped, I think. Like, it's, it's helped bring out some of the qualities of his game that were there that just needed time to blossom. Um, I, uh, I, I was worried about him for a little bit, but I, I think context is just so massive, unless you are a context, like I was describing before, like a Mobley. Um, or, but those guys <laughs> yeah. are rare. You know, those guys just aren't as, aren't as often, uh, don't come around as much. He's, he's a guy that needs to plug into something rather than have things plugged into him, you know. But that's okay. He's, he's, uh, it's not far off from what I expected, to be honest. And that's not like a victory lap or anything. But uh, I don't know. He's he's a fantastic player. I've been really, I've really, really savored watching him play this year for sure. Yeah, he's one of my favorite guys that I've gotten to watch this year, Darius Garland. Uh, this Cavs team, I think, is a legit top four seed in the East, maybe top five seed. Who would have thought? Uh, man. They are top seven in both offense and defense right now. Uh, they, they're real. Like, I, I think this is a real legit team and wait, I'm on, I'm on a podcast with a person from the ringer. I have to go, Kyle, turn the camera on. Come on now. Let's, let's talk about this. What's going on? Did my I'm camera sorry. Go I'm sorry to Kobe Altman. No, I'm doing a Simmons thing. Oh, on, okay. You threw me off for a second. <laughs> I was like, Oh wait, what? Uh, sorry. No. You can redo that bit uh, if you want. Oh, <laughs> uh, ruined Sam's no. bit. Yeah. That's a bad bit. Uh, no, I'm sorry to Kobe Altman. Like this is a real, this is a real thing. Like I thought that they were bad. I thought this is a badly built team. I liked the players. I understood why he was doing it. But man, uh, I, this is this is a full scale apology to Kobe Altman. He was right on this. Like I think he genuinely deserves consideration for NBA Executive of the Year. Uh, it is unbelievable uh, what he's done. Uh, the the Evan Mobley get, like, look, you can say that he fell to them in the draft, but he didn't have to take him. He could have taken Jalen Suggs. He could have taken Scotty Barnes. Um, not to say that either of those guys are going to be bad, but, man, it's uh, – K- Kobe was right in, in the way that he's built this roster, I think, and that is that is a testament to them. I – I think it's. I think there are a lot of things. I do give him credit. I think he got pretty pretty fortunate, based on the players that were there and the needs that they had, that that they got him. Like even, I mean, I love Cade, but I I think Mobley even more specifically was like a, a perfect fit for what they needed, um, because he yeah. just like came in and made everything make sense. Um, so yeah, I mean, I give Altman credit because of like the other moves that I was talking about, uh, but. You know, even Lowry makes sense. You briefly, you mentioned him as, as he was, I've been all over the place with Lowry over the years, man. It's like, I loved him when he came in. I was like, this is going to work. And yeah. then it's, and then you get into like, just like the, the dregs of, of his Bulls days. And it was like, man, I just of, don't. Of the Jim Boylan era. <laughs> it was just like, man, it's just not that what I, what I thought was there is maybe not there. And uh, to see him in a, in this situation. And that's another thing that like, floor raising players do they take players yeah. that maybe yeah. other people had uh been out on you saw this a lot with like steve nash with the Suns uh in those years they would take pieces that maybe other teams had discarded and they would come to the Suns, and it'd be like oh that person like totally makes sense now like what's that all about that's totally the, that's the power of that type of player and that's why if you can get a hold of one, you do it. They're the rarest pieces in the NBA, and they're the hardest to get a hold of. And uh, it, you, you just uh, hold on to them for dear life. And I'm sure, I'm sure Cleveland's going to. Yeah, I, I legit thought that Jim Boylan had broken Larry Markinen. Maybe he did. Like, I thought that he just like broke him. 
like it was just done. Um, and he didn't. And I'm really glad about that. Uh, the other team that has given us both an immense amount of joy this season is the Memphis Grizzlies. The Grizzlies are, for me, probably the most they, they are legitimately the team I have the most fun watching because they play such an attractive brand of basketball. They play so together, especially when John Morant is out there. He's obviously missed some time recently. Uh, but that time that he has missed, I think, has moved Jaron Jackson into a more centralized role, which has been interesting to watch in its own right to be honest. And uh, I I love the Memphis Grizzlies. I've thought for a while now that Taylor Jenkins is probably the most underrated coach in the NBA. And I've seen nothing so far this year that makes me think otherwise. Uh, Everything that they do seems competent and coherent. All of the players on their roster develop in the way that they should develop. Like, Desmond Bain has reached the ceiling of what we thought Desmond Bain would be in season two of his career. Dylan Brooks has reached the pinnacle of what we thought Dylan Brooks could reach, uh, if not exceeded that uh, ceiling, given how good he is on defense. Like, DeAnthony Melton was not very good in Phoenix and has immediately become a real difference maker off the bench for Memphis. All of these guys, they get better when they go to Memphis and... I think that's a testament to the coaching staff, to the front office. Uh, they draft the right kind of guys as well. Uh, it, it's I love the Memphis Grizzlies just so so much. Well, I was curious. You said Apex and kind of the top. Do you do you think that that Bain is there, or do you think that Bain? I'm curious. Bain and, and Brooks specifically. Oh, you think they how much more growth plate is there for them? No, I, I think that there's – I don't know about Brooks. I, I think Brooks is probably tapped out at this point in terms of or where close. he is. Because, yeah. yeah, like high-level defender. The problem with him is that he's always going to be a iffy shot selection guy. Mm-hmm. He just doesn't have the like vision in passing, I don't think, to where he's going to be like a real difference maker. Uh, where like the next level for him would be top 40 player in the league because he's probably a top 60 player, top 70 player already, I think, uh, given the three-point shooting, the defensive value and everything. Uh, he's an above-average starter, right? Yeah. Something along that line. Uh, Desmond Bain, I think Desmond still has a little bit of ceiling. Uh, I think he's better with the ball than Dylan Brooks is. Like, I think that uh, obviously he's a 40% three-point shooter. Defensively, he's always going to have the inherent limitation of his wingspan. But he's so physically strong, and I think that like that just really allows him to get into guys' space. Um, and he's just like an elite character guy again. Like he's going to keep getting better. This is a guy that just works and works and works like crazy. I mean, I, I think there's more ceiling. Like I think that what we've seen during John Morant's absence from him, where he like I think he's averaged like 18 points a game, uh, something along those lines, mm-hmm. like. That that's probably what his actual ceiling is on a good team. Like when there is a John Morant next to him and there is a Jaron Jackson next to him full time and all of that. But I mean, if he, fuck if he hits eighteen points a game playing as like a, a starter next to those guys, that's a fucking incredible piece to have for them. Yeah, it's it's funny that uh, we were joking about this on Twitter a little bit the other night when he went crazy against, I guess, Dallas is the team, which they, they love it when, when Desmond Bain goes crazy against them. It's just epic heartache for them. But 
Um, well, so, and and Desmond loves going crazy against them because right. they passed on him, and he right. knows that they passed on him. Like he said that uh, in an interview that like the fact that they took Josh Green over him was motivation for him. Right, and all those teams like I, I, that one. That one I'll, I'll never under. I, I just will never understand how he fell as far as he did. But I, I do think that like the yeah. on ball. You know, creating his own shot. We saw some of that in summer league. It was it was sort of um, jarring yeah. to be like, oh man, if he if he has this frontier on his on his radar that he could go in this direction, that's a pretty amazing player. But I think you're probably right. Whenever we think about players, sometimes we think about like what's the max that they could do. I think Jeremy Grant's a good example of like what you were talking about. Like if a player thinks of themselves in a certain way julius randall is this way too they like have to be a primary they're kind of stubborn role stubborn is a word i use a lot that like if they if they have to be that way then maybe their their limitations as a player will will be a little bit lower but like a bane um this is probably close you know maybe he could go to a worse team and pump up the counting stats a little bit that's possible but i think if you think about like in the in the winning context yeah, I I um I had an interesting stat. I was kind of looking at their like with Morant without Morant stuff. Now, I th- I think some mm-hmm. of the sample is a little tricky here. I think people will at, at a glance be like Morant's down. Okay. I I think that being out him being out is kind of a bl- can be a blessing in disguise because you get reps you might not have got gotten otherwise. You're not just going to yep. sit John Morant, but like from the beginning of the season to the 26th when he got injured, they were allowing 1.06 points per chance defending all picks, which was worse than the NBA. From the first game he was out until now, that number went all the way to .797, which is best in the NBA. So they literally went from 30 to first. Uh, but that's because yeah. they put a lot of – they've been playing teams that were di- without players you know, overall, but they can just put a lot of physical defender combos out there, man. It's really wild. There, there's that, too, and there's the Dylan Brooks factor, too, because Brooks missed a lot of the early season and True. has been available for most of this time. So I would say that probably plays a significant role as well, but it's... I, I, I mean, like, your point is, like, kind of, that John Morant is a poor defender in ball screens which is accurate i mean he, he's not a very good defender he dies on the screen a lot um it, it's hard i think for a guy that's that skinny uh yeah, and is. just that small to to manage ball screens but um you know you're right I, I do think that they look better defensively without john morant to an extent there, there are like conditions and caveats. I think to, that I don't think that don't don't no one go listen to this and like quote, and quote me and say Kyle said like they're better without Morant. Kyle there's, Man, there's so is many. saying that John Morant sucks. That's what he's saying. Basketball is a plus minus game, and you know the gives and the takes, and you know your philosophy is driven by what you want to give and what you want to take. That's my kind of take stance on it. And with Morant out there. You're getting a whole lot to make up for those those questions and caveats. And you're right about Dylan Brooks. I mean, like he's getting he's getting comfortable again too, and you can kind of see yeah. that and getting back into, into rhythm and stuff. But I think it might it could end up being a, a blessing in disguise disguise for Memphis that uh, that these guys have gotten a little more run. I'm curious to ask you yeah. about uh, two guys that we talked specifically directly about before the draft were Sant- Santi Aldamas and uh, and Arcane. Zaire. Yeah, I mean, uh, what what he's been, 
He's been out there way more than I ever would have fathomed. I just did not expect to see him out there that much, much less well, shooting thought, and being involved. I thought involved. they were going to stash him with Gran Canaria, and then he ends up signing. So, like, I'm, I'm like, blown away that he's playing right now. Yeah. I was like, it could happen. I was like, I expect it to be something. I was like, but, you know, in time, it was like, no, year one, he's, like, actually getting minutes and playing. I did not they expect They just do that. this. It's great. Yeah. If you have the quality of the organization, you can kind of, you know, yeah, but uh, Zaire's the other one. I mean, I know he's been out with with an injury, um, yeah. a little more erratic and wild. I mean, incredibly inefficient, but things we expected. Um, it's it's not a guarantee. I still, I mean, I'm not selling my stock. I still think that like the the point I always make is that like if you think about where Mikhail Bridges, I'm not saying this is where he'll end up, but if you think about Mikhail Bridges at 18, 19, would you have thought right. that he would have been what he is at 22, 23? would have been pretty hard to predict Zaire's still pretty young um he doesn't create anything for himself uh he's basically just an eater not a chef at all um so that's one to keep an eye on I, I definitely have kind of watched because I put my own neck out there a little bit on that prediction but um they have a, they have a lot of like you said Memphis is well run and and because they, they don't whiff on those chances they just have a lot of kind of seeds planted that uh that are uh could go somewhere yeah we'll see well and and i think for them to i think that zaire was the right pick because they have enough like relatively lower upside wings that we know are good already right like we knew after last year desmond bain was good we knew that dylan brooks was good um kyle anderson is a completely awesome league average wing Right. Like they have sheer competence there already. What they need more than anything next to John Morant is like a shot creating wing. And typically when you're drafting it 17 originally and then you move up to 10, essentially in order to draft a Zyre Williams or, you know, maybe they would have taken a Franz Wagner if he would have fallen to 10. Maybe they would have taken someone different depending on how the draft board had fallen. But when you are in that range, let's say 10 and lower, and you're trying to draft a difference-making wing who can be a shot creator, you're going to have to draft young and you're going to have to go through bumps. Mm-hmm. Like, it is what it is, right? Like, it, it, you're just going to have to deal with the growing pains that come. And with Zaire, there's always going to be growing pains. I guarantee you that Memphis went into this year thinking that Zaire Williams was not going to play in their playoff rotation. Right. Like anything that they got in addition to that was going to be gravy. Like they were going to be fucking ecstatic if they got anything from him this year. Um, And I think they think the same with Santi Aldama. Like you and I both loved Santi because of his dexterity and his coordination, his hand-eye coordination, particularly Uh, his feel for the game is just fucking outstanding. But like his significant work to do on his body. Mm-hmm. Like he's six foot 11, 200 pounds. Yeah. And those guys take time. Zaire Williams is six foot nine, 180 pounds. Like those guys take time. And uh, in the case of Memphis, I think that their organization has earned the benefit of the doubt when it comes to drafting guys like this. And letting them grow and mature and uh, 
clearly everything they've done, every button they've pressed from a development standpoint uh, has worked thus far uh, under this uh, front office and under the Taylor Jenkins coaching staff. So, yeah, I I think that uh, Zaire Williams is still the pick that I would make for the Memphis Grizzlies, even though, you know, Chris Duarte would probably help them immensely right now. Right now he uh, would. Chris Duarte is also two years older than Jaron Jackson, and I think like three years older than John Morant. Oh, yeah. So, like, he's he's like barely on their timeline in terms of age is the crazy thing. So, yeah. like, he's I think he's legitimately – like two years older than Desmond Bain, despite the fact that Desmond Bain was a four-year college player at TCU that entered the NBA a year earlier than Chris Duarte. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if Duarte is like older than Jason Tatum. Like, uh, let's see, he's 24 and a half years old. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's... Des is what, like 22 and a half, 23 and a half? Yeah. Like in that range? Something like that. But I, um, I think, yeah, I think you're right. They've totally earned the benefit of the doubt. I mean... Big shocker to draft nerds are praising the Grizzlies, but I mean they—they're an organization that doesn't. You see, you see this a lot. Like we have this problem where like teams just get caught looking backwards so much in in terms of like their holistic way that they think about the game, like the things that work, where the game's going. And I don't think that Memphis has suffered from that. Um, and I think that that's why a player like Bain would fall. I think that's why a player like Xavier Tillman would fall or things like that. It's just like right. value being placed in the wrong areas for, for people and, and those kind of inexplicable things that happened. Um, I'm speculating. That's my theory as to why those things happen. It's just kind of like flawed, uh, outdated thinking, not being um, – they think this is the way we've always done it and they're not quick to kind of start over in, in the process of the way they think. And like you know, like I well, said. Well, and, and here, here's the thing with Memphis too. I think Memphis does a better job of doing this than any organization. I think that they do a better job of mixing the old school scouting stuff with new school analytics. Mm-hmm. Uh, they identify players that are really interesting and that have produced at an exceptionally high level while also mixing that with the old school scouting stuff of drafting just fucking good people. Like, they they don't draft people that don't work. They don't draft people that, like, are shitty to be around. Like, they, they're, they, they don't do... They don't take the risk of... The guy that, you know, people have off the court questions about, Mm -hmm. right? That's just not what they do. So I think that it's a combo of, oh, the draft Twitter new school thinking mixed really well with like the old school, oh, we we don't take shitheads thing, you know? And like that's, I think that's a recipe for success that like more teams should copy, frankly. Like watch the, watch the tape. Look at the analytics, mix it all together, and don't take assholes. Like, it's not, it, it, it sounds like an easy formula, and it's not an easy formula. I don't mean it to sound easier than I'm making it sound, but it's, uh, I think that they do a great job of really mixing those things together. Well, yeah, that's what you're describing is the starting point, and then all the work comes afterwards. And I, th- I think historically, right. I think something that people underrate is, is the people like in terms of like the the players like the all time great players? You know, if you look down through there, it's like all those guys like at the top of those conversations are pretty bright guys. They're pretty um, driven, you know, in that way. And I think yep. that you know, there's, I'm sure there's all kinds of like psychology that goes into that for how they do their process. I have no clue, but um, they're um, 
They're a team that I guess the question would be: Are they? Do they need one more like high impact piece, or do you think that they're going to kind of hover in that Utah zone where they have like a lot of good pieces but missing the like huge dif- difference maker? Because Utah has kind yeah. of floated in that range for a long time. You know, Donovan's kind of on the on the cusp of it, like on the cusp of like breaking out and becoming that guy. Yep. Whether or not he can, I guess that's the question for Memphis. And then if you're drafting in the area where it's, you know, they're not despicable, they're not going to be in the conversation with the OKCs, with the Houstons, like the guys, the teams that could get those swings to get that type of player. How do they get them? Are they going to make a move to get a player like that? Because to me, I kind of feel like that's that's the next thing for them. You know, that now that they've got those that foundation there in terms of their like per- personnel acquisition and how they draft. Um, right. Do you agree with me that like where do you think they are in terms of like their timeline? Like, is this enough to kind of get them to the level they want to get to? No, I think they need one more, which yeah. is why like I liked the Zaire Williams move. Like, go go get your upside swing that you think maybe can be that guy, right? Um, but additionally, I think it speaks. I think that the Jonas Valanciunas move they made this summer speaks to the fact that they might feel that way as well, right? Like, you go out and you trade one of, for my money, like the six best centers yeah. in the NBA last year for Stephen Adams to move up in the draft twice in the 2021 draft. And then you pick up an additional future first round pick, which gives you another asset in your war chest to play with down the road whenever you have to try and acquire that last guy. Uh, So I think that, you know, look, this doesn't come from having talked to Memphis at all. Like, I don't I don't know if they think they have enough. They might think that. Mm -hmm. Um, But maybe John's that guy. But I mean, I'm not totally sure about that, but he's yeah. Or 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 triple J. You know what? Yeah. Even if he is that guy, even if he is like a top five player in the league at some point, they still probably need another guy, right? Like, even under the best case scenario, they still probably need another guy because Giannis Antetokounmpo is fucking incredible. Like, Kevin Durant's fucking amazing. Um, LeBron and Anthony Davis is, like, unbelievable, right? There are always going to be these teams that have another top five guy that might beat you. Uh, Denver, for instance, has... Nikola Jokic, one of the best big men offensively in NBA history, and Jamal Murray, and whatever Michael Porter can be, and Aaron Gordon. Like, they, they have all of these dudes. I think that Memphis still probably needs one more. And like I said, like, I think that their actions over the course of the last year, year and a half, indicate that they think they need one more as well. Sure. Um, the last thing that I want to ask you about is I want to finish some draft stuff. Okay. Uh, where, where are you at? Like, give me, give me, who are you guys? Come on, t- tell me. Tell me what's going on in the, the world of Kyle Mann. Uh, I haven't. Uh, I don't know that I have. I told you, you're probably ahead of me. I've been kind of trying to get my bearings back because I finished a pretty long project like near the beginning of the season. I usually use that time to kind of round all those things into shape. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm like a lot well, of people. And, and I mean, like, we were both tired. Like, that's the thing. Like, <laughs> it's been a pandemic for a year and a half. We were both tired. <laughs> <laughs> Extremely tired, yes. Uh, I think... Uh, and you had, you had a child in this mixture, too. Well, yeah, I had him. We had him in 20... My wife had him uh, in, in 2020. Uh, but uh, he's he's gotten a little easier over time, thankfully. But we're not, we're not doing as many of those, like, sleepless nights. But... Uh, um, yeah. yeah, I mean, like the 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 year, the two year, I guess, from like 2019 until the season ended just this past, you know, when the season was over in, in 2021. 
uh whew. i mean it, it, it was like the or i was telling people it was like the Oregon trail like it, it literally just felt like when it was over i was just like it's over <laughs> holy cow like uh, it was just a lot a lot of grind with the draft and free agency and the two seasons and the bubble and then having a kid it was it was a lot i'm not complaining but in like looking at these guys um i don't know i i haven't totally made my mind up about like the top three i know the kind of consensus names that are being thrown around are obviously paolo and chet and and jabari uh i i would probably i have my kind of caveats with paolo as much as i love him i've, I've liked him a lot for a while yeah um i kind of wonder about his upside as like a guy who could really punish you as a playmaker like i'm pretty confident about him being like a like a Blake Griffin guy that can like either abuse like weaker threes and like blow past five. Like I, I like his strength to, uh, I, I like his quickness to power. Like I, I think that he's, he's going to be a great shot creator. I definitely think he's in like that lineage of the Carmelo, the, you know, the, even going back to like the Bernard King type of guy. Like he's, he's just physically very put together and very coordinated. And if he's going to like shoot triple pull-ups like he has been, another conversation um chet is a thing is is a question for me and you can speak to this too i think his body is just going to kind of loom over this conversation with him because i'm i i'm confident about how tough he is um i'd like to see him shoot it a little better uh but i mean defensively he's really active can he stay healthy there's just all kinds of questions at the top i don't know who who do you who are you leaning towards as like the apex prize in this i'd flip it back on you Oh, that's gross. That's just mean. Um, you did it to me. <laughs> I did it to you. True. Uh, I the more that I watch these guys, the more I kind of think that if Jabari Smith puts it all together, I think he might be the one. He could. Like, he could. He is arguably the best shooting six foot ten and taller guy. Uh, I've seen just point blank as a prospect. Um, Higher he's than, unbelievable you, you not, as a shooter. Are you not counting guys that were like before you? Because I mean, Durant is the, is the guy on that front for me. Like, yeah. Yeah. Any... Yeah. Like I, I mean like in the last eight years okay, that I've been okay. doing this. Cool, cool. Right. Um, yeah. Kevin Durant, uh, I think probably takes the, takes the mark for being the best shooter big, like in the history of the game, probably. Right. Um, you mix that with his mobility defensively. He seems to have pretty good instincts defensively, like not, you know, outlier instincts, but good enough instincts. The thing that I just don't trust him enough with right now is the ball handling. Right. But out in transition, you can see some like grab and go potential. You can see some uh, like when he's out in open spaces, like he actually does really make some shit happen. You mix that with the shooting. And if he can like handle the ball, I mean... He's defensively I, I think, really active too. Um, yeah, I, I'll posit a question to you that I did that I I talked to with a mutual friend of ours about um, in ten years from now. I mean, what what do you what do you say the certainty level is or percentage chance that Jabari is better than Paolo? I mean, do you feel pretty confident about that? Probably fifty fifty to be honest uh, in terms of the percentage chance, but I think that. If it happens, it, honestly, like it might even be less than that. Like it might be like forty five percent, forty percent that Jabari Smith ends up better than Paulo. But if it happens with Jabari Smith, like if he does end up better than Paulo, 
I think he's going to be a lot better than Paulo because of the defensive like activity level, the athleticism, the elite shooting already. Like there are, I, I said this on a podcast recently. I think it was mine. Um, I think there are some real Paul Georgie outcomes with Jabari Smith. The handles uh, will be the key then on that front because Paul George's yeah. pretty great ball handler for his size. And I think you're right. He's a little chaotic. But, but wasn't when he got in the league, though. He, impro- he improved a lot. Yeah, I mean, it, like if Jabari can get there, I think I think you're right. He's a little chaotic in space right now. I guess I'm, I haven't really dialed in how I feel about him like in terms of like where, what is his ceiling as an athlete, like where he is, like is he super elite? Because yeah. sometimes I'll be like – he doesn't seem quite as explosive, but he's not a bad athlete at all. Uh, he's really right. easy, fluid, has a lot of elasticity, like in his in his frame. Um, I, I like him a lot. I, I'm I'm in the process. I'm actually going to write about him here coming up about Jabari. So I'm yeah. kind of in the process of dialing that in. Who I think he is, but uh, he's been entertaining to watch. I just uh, the the Paolo Jabari thing is going to be an interesting thing to watch also for the next. For the next while however yeah. long yeah, yeah years years upon years uh i'd be remiss if i didn't ask you about ty ty given Ooh. how often you watch him i mean literally you're a kentucky basketball fan that lives in lexington i mean well louisville but i'm in i'm on oh in, you in live in louisville now enemy that's territory right. yeah. but yeah nonetheless uh, give, give me some ty ty thoughts i wish he'd take over this team that's the biggest thought that i have um yeah I have complained to you. I won't be super mean to any particular person because <laughs> I try not to be. Uh, I don't know why they signed Wheeler. Um, he's a good player. I just think that he creates yeah. rotation issues for Cal that sort of enable some of Cal's most self-disservice uh, <laughs> things that are like disservices to himself. Um, anyway, no, I, agree. Uh, I think that Ty Ty's ability to take over this team and i've thought this from moment one is uh is going to be sort of dictate the ceiling of this team but in ter- but he's he is he's an intriguing prospect i mean he's very he he had a tough game against duke in the first game of the year he got a little overwhelmed in the environment it seemed like wasn't making shots but i love his middle game I, i'm pretty confident about him being a pull-up shooter at some point so i mean he's yep. the question just kind of his frame similar kind of things too i think i think that he has a frame that could get a good deal bigger like i think he could get a lot stronger whether or not he gets like super heavy i don't know um i like him i, I don't know would you would you have him in the top 10 range that would be my question for you in terms of tie tie how high are you on him how high high are you on tie tie i would have him in the top 10 uh, I, I think I am higher than most people on him. Like, I, I think that I'm probably more uh, on the ceiling end of where people have Ty Ty. Like, I'd probably have him seven or eight. Like, I, I'd pretty pretty convincingly have him over, like, Jaden Hardy right oh, now. Oh, yeah, no question. Um, yeah. Yeah, like, I'm not a, not a Jaden Hardy guy, really, based off of what I've seen. And you're going to get to see him up close, so I will be interested to see my text messages <laughs> this weekend whenever you see Jaden Hardy. Oh, yeah. Um, and I feel like Jaden Hardy has become, like, the whipping boy of this podcast, and I don't mean for that to happen. Uh, I apologize, because Penny and I often talk about him as a uh, 
like comparison negatively to other players. Uh, oh, I thought you in meant Ty Ty's Am- case. <laughs> I thought you meant Anthony Hardaway no. at first. I was like, oh, you and Penny Hardaway talk about? Him? I forgot about Matt Penny. <laughs> anyway, no, Matt Matthew Matthew Penny. Yes. Uh, yeah, I mean, in the case of Ty Ty, I love the way that he processes the game. I love the way that he can handle the ball. I think he's very technically sound there. Uh, I don't love the athleticism, obviously. I think that he separates okay. Like, I think that he has a good enough change of pace to where he will be able to separate, especially once you move him into more wide open spaces. I love the touch. I think he's going to be a pull-up shooter. Like, I think that you probably always want him out there with another lead guard. Mm-hmm. Uh, hopefully that lead guard can be a shooter. Or maybe you have him out there with, you know, Paul George keeps continues to be the guy that we bring up, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I would love another pick-and-roll ball handler, like, creator out there with Ty Ty at all times, basically. Um, maybe you can play Ty Ty at the point if it's, like, a Paul George at the three that is going to be able to create shots. But to me, his game translates at a really high level toward winning situations. Yeah. Like, if you have him as your number three guy, that seems phenomenal to me. Like, I'm in. I'm in. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I think that like if you can get these kind of shifty, smaller creators next to uh, that can kind of swim around a big shark, like a even a Giannis, just sort of like a, a player that can carry a lot of right. or a Luca or uh, you you saw that some with like you know Seth Curry, Trey Burke, those guys had some success oh, next to next to Luca, like that type of situation. He'd be so good next to Luca. That yeah. is such a great call. I hadn't thought about that yet. That's a well, you really, really great it. call. I just Kyle. said the name. <laughs> it's like that, but I think your description is 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 appropriate. Yeah, th- I think, and that's what I think that he need. That's how I think he needs to be used at Kentucky. The problem is, you know, obviously Kentucky doesn't have that type of guy. Nobody really does in college. But um, I don't know, man. We'll see. It's unfortunate that uh, um, the Cats and the Buckeyes didn't play each other. We were gonna <laughs> have more to talk about. I don't know how dialed in you are on them this year, but. Uh, uh, it's a shame they didn't get to play. I was I was looking forward to seeing that. Yeah. Well, you were were you going to go because you were going to be in Vegas? Well, I discovered we planned the G League trip. We were like, okay, we're going to go to this, and then I was looking at the schedule. I was like, holy shit! I was like, Kentucky just happens to be playing in <laughs> Vegas, and I was telling my yeah. boss, he was like, right? He was like, yeah, coincidence, right? Because every, it, everybody <laughs> teases me. You know, a total coincidence that Kentucky's out there at the same time. I was like, yeah, I'll just go a day early. Go see the Cats for sure. Um, I don't know. I have no confidence that they'll even beat North Carolina. I'm just kind of – I'm not one of those like sunshine pumper teams I, or like fans. I'm, I'm like on the opposite end. I'm like uh, arguably like a lot harder on Kentucky than, than other teams just because I just get so – you know, yeah. you get in the doldrums. It's like every team. It's like, you know, I'll, I'll find reasons to kind of complain, but I don't know a spoiled college basketball fan complains there's a headline that everybody wants to hear so anyway (laughs) oh my god the the final question is always kyle what what movies have you watched i mean come on like you work for the ringer you have to have you have to have dove deep in the pop culture world here recently yeah like dude i used to think that i was like somebody that was like into music into movies and then like you get to the ringer and it's like there's like 10 people for every subject that know everything about it and you're like oh i don't really know that much about music oh i don't really know <laughs> like my coworkers will suggest bands and i'll be like totally off my radar i used to like be felt, I, I, I can't do the music thing like I, I just can't there's it's too wide it's too like there's too much to find i feel like in the music stuff 
It is. It's hard to keep. It's hard to keep up with, honestly. And there's just so much. There's so much that I've missed in the past that I enjoy kind of like just rooting around and discographies that I I just missed because there's just an infinite amount of it. In terms of movies, uh, I've been to the theater twice lately, like in the past month or so. I saw Dune. I love Dune. Thought it was awesome. Really great theater yep. experience. Saw went and saw the French Dispatch with my wife and a couple friends, yep. and I enjoyed that. Uh, yeah. I enjoyed Have you seen both of those? I have seen both of those. French Dispatch is the last movie I've seen in a theater. So, yeah. Yeah. And uh, we watched King Richard the other night. Um, I really, uh, I like that more than I even expected. I thought it was a pretty good movie. Just a good, just a good sports movie. Um, and then um, yeah. I really want to see Licorice Pizza. Um, yeah. That, that might be number one on my list right now. You saw that it? I have to see. Oh, no, to. I, I haven't seen it yet. Yeah. It's uh not not only am I someone who really enjoys Paul Thomas Anderson, although like maybe not as much as like the cult of Paul Thomas Anderson like seems to enjoy him. Uh, I really like him, like love his movies. Like I love There Will Be Blood. Um, really like The Master. Was a little bit lower on Phantom Thread. Like good good movie. Not like you know one of the best movies of the year. I didn't think is excited as I am about Paul Thomas Anderson. I'm also an enormous Heim fan. Oh, like I'm very excited to see Alana Heim in this movie as well, because that is one band that I do enjoy uh, substantially. So multiple fronts. I need to see licorice pizza. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I don't know that I'm quite in the like cult, like you were describing, but I really, really, really love Paul Thomas Anderson. Um, the master, the master's way up there for me. I've, I've kind of tried to work clips from the master into my videos a couple times. (laughs) Try not to force it, but uh, we're going to find one. You know, I, we're, we're going to find a way to do it here one of these days. Maybe I'll just shoehorn it in there, but, you know. Yeah. You're, you're going to start putting in clips from There Will Be Blood. Like whenever um, whenever you give up on a prospect, you, you give up on Killian Hayes. Finally, it's going to be like, I've abandoned my boy <laughs> yeah. from There Will Be Blood. Sure. Yeah, we'll think about that one. I there was one clip that I was trying to use from the end of the movie where, but he says the line so softly, but I thought the, I always found the line like that movie has so many like darkly funny parts in it. But the, uh, yeah, when he, when his son comes into his office at the end of the movie and he's, he says, you're killing us with what you're doing. I always thought that line was really funny. <laughs> I was like, that could go in a video somewhere. Uh, we'll see. Well, I'm always thinking about that stuff. Uh, so, Oh my God. It's the best. Kyle, tell the people where they can find your work uh, on YouTube, on The Ringer, everywhere. Please tell the people what's going on. Well, my domicile, my digital domicile, I would say, is uh, is YouTube. So you can just go to YouTube. YouTube? Holy cow, that Kentucky caricature just popped out of me. I don't even know. I'm, I'm tired. I don't even know what that was. YouTube on The Ringer. I'd recorded a voiceover the other day, and I said Mortensen. I like said the word Mortensen, and he was like, "You're skipping the T in the word." I was like, "Oh, I'm country." Like Mortensen. Like I'd, I'd notice that sometimes. Uh, the, the only like Southern person at the ringer, realistically. <laughs> I think there are some like I know Jason Gallagher was Southern. Uh, there's there's a few of us, but anyway, I, mm-hmm. I don't hide from it. That, this is like genuinely how I talk. People ask me if I like I hide my accent. I, I don't, but. Um, so, uh, yeah, you go on youtube.com slash the ringer. You know how to do that, folks. You're smart. And then, uh, the stuff gets posted on the ringer too. So just go to the YouTube website or the ringer.com. You'll see it. And then the podcast, uh, wherever podcasts, what's the phrase, wherever you get your podcast, but it's on Spotify. Uh, so we, I mean, we prefer you listen to it on Spotify, but you know, 
Uh, give us give us a name. Is it? I believe it's on the Ringer NBA feed, right? It is. The show's called Upside High. So the artwork we just got our artwork and we're we're ready to ready to roll. So awesome. Uh, go subscribe to the YouTube channel uh, Game Theory Podcast with Sam Vecini. You will get to watch Kyle and I. This is going up on Monday. Uh, we just kind of ended up working this time in because Kyle's going to be in Las Vegas and. You know, the holidays are coming up, so I kind of wanted to bank a show and everything. So uh, go watch Kyle and I. You get to see his face because I feel like you don't often. Your videos are only sometimes with your face. I'm the the disembodied voice. Sometimes I show up. Sometimes I show up. (laughs) Sometimes you show up. Sometimes you don't. But Mm -hmm. now you get to watch Kyle's uh, no longer disembodied voice. It is a face that has an actual voice. Uh, You also get to watch my face, uh, which I'm sorry about. But, uh, you know, it's it's tough. I get it. The hairline is a disaster. But, hey, what can you do? Um, Go subscribe to the YouTube channel. Go subscribe to the podcast. Leave ratings and reviews. Apparently, you can leave ratings and reviews on Spotify now, uh, which is a thing that you should do. Please go leave ratings and reviews there for the Game Theory Podcast. We will be back later this week with more. But until next time, we will talk soon. Bye. Bye.